And so we talked about that. So this week, I want to change the title a little bit. I want to talk about holiness unwrapped. Holiness unwrapped. My wife, you know, had me watch shows every now and then. And one of those shows we, we like to watch together is Unwrapped. You know, Unwrapped is one of those shows where you find out how something is made. You know what I'm saying? I remember I saw how M&M's was made. I was like, how do you get the shine on the M&M's? You know what I'm saying? Crispiness of the, um, the crispiness of the, the shell on the outside and then the chocolate and then the peanut seems like it's always in the same place. So what I try to do, I try to bite the outside, slide it off and look at and it's all even. I always, how did they do that? And so, you know, I like, I like watching those unwrapped shows where they kind of take you in the factory and then, you know, show you the different ingredients that makes up those different things. Um, I saw how Ehrman's was made. I saw how uh, Tasty Cakes. I don't know about no Tasty Cakes. Y'all know when I went to when I left the East Coast and went to Texas, I was having Tasty Cake fits. I was like Tasty Cake, Tasty Cake, like having Tasty Cake fits. You know what I'm saying? I love them lemon pies. The lemon Tasty Cake. They show you how they get all the lemoniness in it and how they cover it and cladalkin. You know what I'm saying? Then they show you how. Then they show you how the hostess, uh, the, the hostess uh, pies. Like, like I didn't know they just, they just drizzle sugar on the outside of the pie. Just drizzle. I can't eat it now. You know, my wife will hit me right in my ribs if I eat anything like that anymore. But I like those shows about talking about things being unwrapped. Well, Peter does something powerful in this passage. He does the same thing for us. He takes us behind the curtain to show us the secrets of how the believer is actually made holy. So today, I'm going to give you a little bit of application, but I just want you to walk through Peter unwrapping for us behind closed doors. What, what did it take to get you to go from, from, from desecration to consecration? What, what, did it, what, what did it take for you to come for your old hoopty, raggedy reality of a life? Trifling, raggedy, raggedy and raggedy, hole in the sock type life to going from just common usage to consecrated usage. Because we found out last week that when God called us to be holy, he didn't call us to just be religious. Being has to do with actually having it. And your doing of holiness flows from your being of holiness based on something that God did. And I left that, we left a comma last week, semicolon, uh, parentheses, whole nine. And we're going to dive into that today. And I'm excited about this, talking about this idea of holiness. And so let's start it off. My, next, my first point was, of course, you got to be motivated by the holiness of God. Y'all remember that? That was last week. Got to be motivated by the holiness of God. The second point was you got to be motivated. If you're going to live his life, you got to be motivated by the judgment seat of Christ and remember we talked about the fact that believers are not going to get judged based on where they're going to spend eternity, but how they're going to spend eternity. And so some people are like, I'm confused. I thought we was, no, nah, it's not about your sin. Now it's about your stewardship. And so God is going to judge believers based on how they stewarded the holiness that he gave us. That's crazy, right? It's even a little scary, right? But, 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 but God has given us the grace through Christ not to have to shrink back. So now, now what we, what we have here is this is my last point. We're just going to do one point today. Just one point. Y'all with me? Just one point. You got to be motivated by what God values. It all boils down to that. 
And God is going, Peter is going to unwrap for us what God values. I'm telling you, fam, most of your Christian life is going to boil down to what God values. Because God wants us to be married to what he values. Now, remember, in the context of 1 Peter, they're going through suffering. So he's reminding them to not switch up your steeds on what you value just because God allowed some challenges to come your way. Because many times when challenges come our way, we will change our value system because we think there's a shortcut out of what God has allowed to happen. And so we stop trusting the God who's not only allowed it to happen, but that's with us during the happening. And so right here, Peter, I'm going to read this. Can I read it? And then we'll dive into it expositionally. He says, we left off at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was, for, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. Who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Banging. All right. If we're looking at what God values, we got to look at the word ransomed. We got to look at the word ransom. Y'all know I like to define stuff because we're in a Christian culture now. We're in a context now where you can't just say stuff and expect people to understand it. So we got to explain everything, right? And some of y'all that are a little more seasoned, if you would admit it, you need some breaking down too, right? Uh, amen. You talk, I know what you're talking about. What did he say? You know what I'm saying? So we know we need some breaking down. So the first thing that we get a glimpse of in unwrapping holiness, that is holiness that's distributed to humans based on God, taking them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his marvelous son, Colossians 1, 11 to, 11 to, I mean, uh, 13 and 14. We see here that, 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 that Peter first says, he says, the reason why I want you to fear the Lord during your time here, I want it to be marked by you knowing that you were ransomed. Knowing that you were ransomed. Now, the, now some of the church fathers like Oregon had an interesting view of ransom. A lot of people think of ransom in a way that may not be as fully accurate as it should be. But some people that came after Oregon thought some jacked up ways about ransom. They had a theory called the ransom theory. Can you say that ransom theory? Or the classical theory. Well, this belief is that the death of Christ was a ransom. Now, Oregon believed that the ransom was to rem merely to remove us from one place and put us into another place. But cats that came after him began to use the ransom in a terrible way. They began to say that Jesus's death was a payment to Satan to release us from his captivity. Now, the problem with that is Satan doesn't have the proper understanding of currency to value the blood of Christ. So, 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 the, so that's heresy. Can you say heresy? heresy. Yeah, we, we don't say that often, but when something comes up, we got to say it. Heresy. That's some games. Amen. 
But when we talk about ransom, ransom is a word that was used in Greco-Roman culture of people who were on the auction block, though, and one who has the loot and the availability of the denarii or whatever you want to call it, drachma, they were able to go up and purchase that person. And they were able to pay the proper payment or what they would do, background um, stuff, is the slave would try to pay for their own freedom. So what they would do or the, or the person that wanted to help them to get out of slavery would do is they would go into this false god's temple and they would put money into the treasury. And they would basically be paying the god for the release of that captive from slavery into freedom. So Peter, knowing their understanding of that, leverages it but ups it based on a redemptive understanding of ransom. See, God was angry at each and every one of us. See, most of us think God saved us from hell. Most people think God saved us from the devil. Most people think God saved us from sin. Most people think God saved us from, but listen, God saved you from the greatest thing he can save you from himself. Cursed is the person that falls in the hand of an angry God. I know I scared you. You should get scared every now and then. You ever met a person did you hope, like, I remember when I was little, I, I, I was the type of dude, I didn't like to fight much, but when I fight, I just, my eyes roll back and I, and I get to fighting, right? But every now and then, I hoped in the name of Jesus that I wouldn't fight certain dudes. And it was this dude named, 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 named boy, I, even thinking back to it, it kind of scared me. I never wanted to get in a fight with him because I knew he was crazy. And so whatever I could do to not get in a fight with him, I would do. Well, see, that's what it means to be saved from the wrath of God. You don't want to fight him. You, 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 no, family, you, you think you can swing them things, but I'm just telling you right now, you don't want to fight the wrath of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 9, that we were saved from the wrath of God. Now, all of the other stuff, all of the other stuff, sin, death, hell, all of those other things are byproducts of God saying, I am going to utilize my son to ransom you from my wrath and put you in the realm of my grace. So he paid for us to be ransomed from him. Because listen, the Bible says that the father is the owner of souls. Jesus says, don't fear the one who can just destroy the body because that's what the devil can do. But fear the one who can both destroy the body and the soul. Who is the one that owns the soul? Satan. You can't sell your soul to Satan. Did you know that? Because it ain't his. Did you know even unpeople's souls are God's, even though they're not children of his? So God has to satisfy his wrath by ransoming out of us from the realm of beef. Now, we're in, in Satan's influential realm when we're under God's wrath. First, I mean, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This is, this, is, this, is, this is holiness unwrapped. This is what it takes to get you from being common, being fondled by the world, to having fellowship with the living God. So you are ransomed 
from, 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 from God's wrath. So he says, he says, I want you to remember why you're going through. That God took you from the place where you're being tempted to go back to. He said, you don't want to get back under God's wrath, therefore putting you back in a place. Now, you can't lose your salvation. He's not saying that here, but he's using this logic to help God's people to understand that even though you're going through challenging times, don't think like Egypt, like Egypt really, like Egypt wasn't like that. You know, it's interesting. My daddy, he's, he's just turned 85. And you know, he'll hear the old heads. He'll say, man, it ain't like it used to be the good old days. My dad said, it sure ain't. He said, wasn't no good old days to me. You know what I'm saying? He's on the World War II. But he said, wasn't good old days. Some of us overestimate what life before Christ was like. You think you were cool. You were flossing. You had a good time. It was, listen, if, listen, if God placed you with your redeemed self, the way you are right now, back in the situation you were in, you don't know how you're really going to feel when you're back in it. You're going to be everything, all of the stuff that God has done in your life, it's going to, it's going to be disrupted. Some of you, as soon as heck breaks loose in your life, you want to back up from the Christian life. And so Peter says, in order to get you motivated by the right stuff, I want you to understand first that you were purchased with a price. In other words, you were ransomed. You were removed from general usage to specific usage. You are a utensil of the king. And the way you became a utensil of the king wasn't because your hairline, because you got to shape up, because you, no, it's because of his ransoming work through the cross. But then he goes through and as he talks about the ransom, listen to what he says he ransomed them from. It's interesting when I studied this and I began to dive in and I looked at it, I was like, dang, he ransomed us from that. It says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Very interesting. Very interesting. This phraseology, futile ways of forefathers, doesn't merely point to Adam's sin. It's interesting as I begin to study this and just dive into it. Basically, what he ransomed, what, what, when he ransomed us from his wrath and what we were experiencing, what, we, what realm we were in when we were experiencing them in his wrath was the futile ways of our forefathers. The question is, what is that? Culture. Culture. A culture of raggediness that's been passed down from generation to generation. A way of thinking and a way of doing things that was systemically put together by sinful people that we were nurtured and raised in to be raggedy than the mud. And he said, God, through Christ, was taking us from what's called being normal. Your life, like we said already, is never going to be normal again. Never. You're called to be a consistent exile, and you're called to feel abnormal when everybody, see, everybody else thinks normal a certain way, but for the Christian, being normal is different. You, 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 you got to begin to, that's, that's what that album, Holy Culture, was about, is developing a mindset of understanding what the principles of the Christian life are like so you don't get frustrated and wigged out. So he said, you were, you were ransomed from the futile ways of your father being normal, your fathers being normal, being a normal husband. 
That's Bundy off of Married with Children. <laughs> Bundy, just raggedy, just sitting on the couch with a brewski in his hand, hand in places we won't talk about right now, looking at porn as normal, and the wife knowing that the husband actually likes to look at other women, and that's what part of the culture of the home. Normal. That's, that's normal stuff. You were ransomed from normality. Wives. Wives who, who I, I, look, I'm going to be me. I got married, but look, don't let no man change you. Don't let no man change you. Don't let no man change you. That's normal. It's normal to pop your neck and be raggedy and not be submissive. That's normal. Anybody can do that. Anybody can hop from chick to chick. But let me see you please one for 50 years in the bedroom. It's normal to run the block. It's easy to try the same tricks on different women because you ain't got to grow. That's normal. That's, that's some old normal stuff. We ain't about normality. We about growth. No, that's normal. Normal. You weren't saved to be normal anymore. Don't stop wigging out. You weren't saved to be normal. Singles wigging out. Going to see what you want to go see. Do what you want to do. You were bought with a price. You're, this whole thing. You're not normal anymore. Kids walking behind you 15 feet while you walking cussing them out. That's normal. Men having babies out of wedlock and going getting mad babies out of wedlock not paying child support. That's normal. That's normal. Going from job to job because you can't submit to a leader in that job. That's normal. Normal. Not paying your bills on time. Normal. Creditors call. Oh, that's a 1-800 number. Don't pick that up. Normal. <laughs> All up on some old normal stuff. That ain't, that ain't what we were called to. I'm going to keep saying it. Get it through your skull that your life is changed forever if you're in Jesus. <laughs> this holiness unwrapped. These are the ingredients that has taken you from commonality to consecration. So your life, ladies, gentlemen, were never meant to be the same ever again. If you're experiencing changes, that's normal. If you're experiencing frustration, that's normal. If you're being stretched, that's normal. If you got to get up earlier and pray, that's normal. If you got to get in your Bible no more than you usually have to because of how hectic you're, that's normal. In Christ, though. So our minds have to be so changed, y'all. To begin to say, like when young believers are coming up in Epiphany Fellowship, and they say, I don't know why this is happening to me. And all the believers around this little season, they're going to just laugh. They're going to say, that's all right, baby. That's all right. I see you. Wipe the tears from your eyes. Mm. That's normal. That's normal, baby. Remember we went through that? <laughs> normal. Normal. This is what you teach disciples. This is what you teach disciples. This is why we share a camaraderie. See, 
And if you don't have camaraderie with believers that are living abnormally, then you're still walking in normality. <laughs> See, we're no longer attracted to futility. We don't laugh at the same jokes anymore. So we're not normal. This is beautiful. And sometimes you just feel crazy. You feel schizophrenic. You feel bipolar. You're up, up, and you're down, down. Um, you're always saying, uh, you know, when somebody says, how you doing? Ah. <laughs> normal! Normal, y'all. All this is normal. I, I just wanted to sink in. That's why I keep saying it. I wanted to sink in. Because you're going to walk out of here and something's going to happen, and you're going to look at him and say, normal. <laughs> because I want us to grasp this. Because as missionaries to Philadelphia, you better recognize that in order to bring change, it takes something abnormal to infiltrate the normal. So it's important that we suck in this philosophy that God has redeemed us from the futile ways of what everybody else is doing. Everybody else is doing it doesn't mean it's the Christian thing to do. Even if all black people are doing it. Don't mean all black people got to do it. If all white people, lats are doing it. That don't mean you got to do it because you're part of that ethnic lineage. Because you were redeemed from the ways of your forefathers. And so now you bring Christ and the understanding of the new race, the royal priesthood, into your philosophy of life. So he's called you to bring redemption. Redemption. Because you've been ransomed. Ah, uh, wish I didn't have to get out of here soon. Peter does something interesting. He says, don't get it twisted. Watch what he does. I'm just going to walk the text. That cool? Listen to what he says. He says, he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from, inherited from your fathers. Listen, not with perishable things such as silver and gold. Mm. Mm. What a timely time to tell this generation that. What a timely, let's just stop on that. What a timely time to let people know that to be in a relationship with God, silver and gold aren't his currency. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me just quote a few songs, if I can. <laughs> yeah, I'm in this joint with terror. Got a hand Full of stacks, gotta grab an umbrella. I make it rain. I make it rain. <laughs> Some of y'all in the car like this. Oh, Christian's coming. Let me turn it back down. <laughs> Listen to what the culture's teaching. I make it rain. That's a hook. They, that's a hook. I make it rain what? Loot. So it's nurturing people to value cash and not Christ. Yeah. 
We don't realize that. I got another one. Got money, and you know it. Take out your pocket and show it. <laughs> this away, that away. This away, that away. For everybody who is up in the Ang RV, fly this way, that away, this way, that away. Lil Wayne and T Pain. Just nurturing silver and gold. And so people that are coming up, like I, I like I, I mean, just for me, like I see cats with fake chains on, like. For me, just don't, just. <laughs> like just, someone, it's silver plated though, you know what I'm saying? But it's glass in it. <laughs> and so what he's trying to get us to do is not to base our value based on what we have. When you go behind the curtain of what it means what it means to walk in holiness unwrapped. He said, that's not what God utilized to get you from being common. He says, that's what make common people think they're consecrated. That's why it is a heresy in the church that makes you think that in order to be right before God, you got to have loot from God. He said, he said he didn't redeem you with that stuff. Not, not only did he redeem you from it, he didn't even redeem you for it. He didn't even redeem you for it. Because when you go from commonality to consecration, that's below you. Now, I know y'all see the lottery signs on the highway. 300, man, 3.5, man, I'm playing uh, uh, 356 straight and combination and backwards and all of that kind of stuff. But he didn't redeem us with anything of that sort. But what did he redeem us with? Here we go. Ah. Here we go. But, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ... Now, I, I had to go back to my OT passages because a lot of times we look at, we, we think about the blood of Christ and we don't really, like, we throw the blood at, I spit the blood on this and, like, that, that ain't, like, that ain't in the Bible. It, but, like, it, there's an appreciation that we have to have for the blood. I, sp I plead the blood over you. Like, what is, like, what, what are we talking about here? You know what I'm saying? Like, where's the, I mean, okay, but anyway. But what he does for us here is he does something beautiful. He lets us know that we were redeemed. And guess what he called it? The precious blood of Christ. Now, I want to talk about the blood for a minute. Can I talk about the blood I'm, just for a minute? I looked over in Leviticus chapter 7, verse 11 uh, on, and I looked at that thing. And I was looking at how the Bible treats Jesus' blood as a different than animal blood. 
Because, see, y'all remember I told y'all a few series ago that the blood of bulls and goats never took away sin. It only put it on layaway. And so Leviticus 17 says, for the life, this is interesting, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Check this out, what it says. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood Neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Anyone also of the people of Israel or strangers who sojourn among you who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you should not eat or drink the blood of any creature for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. It's interesting that God never allowed for that. But then up in John 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And at the end, a bunch of people follow him. And towards the end of John 6, He said, I know how to split this crowd up real quick. Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and unless you drink my blood, you have no part with me. Cass was like, this dude is bugging. And they all remembered Leviticus 17. But God was talking about the blood of bulls and goats. He wasn't talking about the blood of the God man because God did not want them drinking blood of animals because he wanted us savoring to be able to drink the blood of Christ. Why? What does it say? Because every in every being, their life is in the blood. And so God savored it so that in Christ, when we take communion, When we trust Christ as Savior, when we continue to trust him, guess what we're drinking of? And if we drink his blood, guess what we get? Holiness unwrapped. The blood of Christ. The beauty of the blood of Christ. Listen now to how he describes Christ's blood. It's beautiful. He says, like that of a lamb without blemish. You know, based on the Old Testament, lambs weren't supposed to have anything that got uh, sacrificed was not supposed to have blemish. It was supposed to be perfect. But this word blemished and without spot points, points to something more than just a physical state of Jesus, because we know that when Jesus Christ was sacrificed, his skin was tore off of him, even though no bones were broken. So when he finally got sacrificed on the cross, he was ripped apart. But he wasn't now, God wasn't talking about the physical state of the sacrifice. Because Isaiah 53 says there was nothing about him that we would big him up about based on how he looked. But he's talking about the spotlessness of Christ's record as the son of God and the eternal God man. So guess how you got holy? You got 
changed from holding, from commonality to consecration. Go back to the Old Testament again. When they would kill the animal, they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it on things. And when they would sprinkle that blood on that thing, that thing would go from common usage to consecrated usage. The blood of Christ, when you trusted him, God sprinkled it through the spirit on your soul. And you went from being common because of his blood. So holiness flows from the Holy One, Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that when my man John saw Jesus, he said, behold, interesting, the Lamb of God. Usually in the Old Testament, it said, get a lamb. But here, it says, the lamb. I like that. Because that pointed to the fact that this was the ultimate sacrifice. That once this sacrifice was given, there would be no more need for sacrifices ever again. Because he was sacrificed once and for all. And so, I don't care how piled up your sins are, how jacked up your life is, is that the blood flows to the deepest of valleys to snatch you out of the valleys of commonality and take you to the the hills of consecration. What I'm trying to let you know, fam, is that holiness unwrapped points to the fact that Jesus Christ had to be physically unwrapped for you. And the gift was his blood. So the reason why we live holy is because we have a We don't have to muster up holiness. We don't need holy water and dipping our fingers in holy water and going like this and genuflecting before we go into church gathering. We don't have to do Ash Wednesdays. We don't have to do anything holy to become holy because God has already made us holy. So when we look at the, this is God's factory. This is God's factory outlet of what it, what it looks like to come behind the curtain in how he creates a saint. A saint has to be created. It's interesting, the word for holy actually can be translated saint or holy one. Hagias. And so what's powerful about this is that the Lord Jesus Christ made available that through his blood. And then it says, for he foreknew before the foundation of the world. It's interesting, that verb for new is a perfect passive participle. So what it points to, let me break that down. Perfect means that that's a Greek, that's a Greek past tense that points to a definitive point in eternity past in which God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit decided that Jesus was going to die on a cross. But the passive points to the fact that we didn't do anything about it, but God was the one that caused it to happen. And that it has continued effects even until today. So for no means God was like God was working on the factory of holiness for us, even though he's already intrinsically holy. He was eternally working on this before the foundations of the world. He was already planning for us not to be common. Because he knew that we would choose commonality. And so he says, I got to make these cats uncommon. Because if they're going to represent me, they can't be like everybody else. 
And so I got to develop a unique factory called the factory outlet of holiness to make them what I want them to be. But then he goes, I got to get ready to leave. Ah. Then he goes and he says, for he was, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for our sake. Who through him are believers through him we are believers in God. He said he gave Christ. He gave Christ. So I'm loving how in this text he says through, through, through Christ, through Christ, through Christ, through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead, gave him glory. Beautiful. I remember Jesus' high priestly prayer. When Jesus said, Lord God, Know what I want you to do? Matter of fact, he did it even in the time when Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead. He said, Lord, don't do this because, like, I need to know anything. But do this based on the glory that you and I shared before the foundations of the earth. And Jesus Christ, when he took on a human nature, an additional nature came to earth, he set aside the privileges of his deity. He didn't stop being God. But something about that glory was unexpressed without that glory being taken away. Because John 1.14 says what? That we beheld his glory. And so Jesus prayed that God would return him to the eternal state of glory after he died. And it says that the Father is so pleased with Christ. You've got to understand, Father doesn't share his glory with anyone. Anyone. Intrinsically. That means internally as being glory as a part of their nature. Isaiah 48, 11 says, I will not share my praise and my glory with anyone else. But what's the only person he can share his glory with is himself. And so he says he gave the Lord Jesus Christ glory. In other words, restored him to the Intr- uh, the extrinsic, not intrinsic, because that he's already, uh, glory is a part of his nature, but the expressiveness of the beauty of his eternal nature. I can't wait till he comes back. I like, I always try to figure out what it's going to be like when Christ returns and what it's going to look like to see him as he is. I always think about how's he going to have a body that has nail prints in it piercing in the side, yet have all of the attributes of who he is fully expressed and unveiled. Sometimes I wonder whether we're going to have spiritual sunglasses to see through all of that. Like say, oh, there he is. I always wonder, are the nail prints in his hands going to be like Iron Man, lights coming out of it like this? (laughs) I'm always wondering. I think about that stuff. What it's going to be like to be holy and experience and stand in the unveiled holiness of God through Christ. Holiness unleashed, fam. Can you imagine talking to the Lord Jesus while he's standing there with all of his attributes shooting every direction right in front of you? Like, I don't know how I'm going to react to that. Like, I don't know if light just going to be coming from the piercing in his side. I don't know. Like, I, I think I'm a faint. I don't know. I don't know how I'm. A, I'm like, you Jesus. Like, you're the one that died. That ble- like, gee, I, 
I, I, I mean, I, sometimes I, I wonder, do we stand in awe of him anymore? That Jesus in holiness unveiled behind the, like, we're going to be able to experience that. So God gave him glory. In the context, what's that glory? To be able to unveil and express all that he is one day and finally. But then he, then he ends it with us on here. Ah. He ends it with us right here. He said, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So that purpose clause, your faith and hope are in God. When you go through challenges, y'all, when you go through suffering, it's always easy to put your faith and hope in the temporal. Sometimes it feels like torture to be a human being. God, why don't you let me out? And he says, why don't you let me in? God wants us. God wants us. I don't know what you're going through today. But I want you to think about his holiness unleashed. As you think about the Lord Jesus as the one who makes us holy. And that your faith and hope will not be in anyone or anything or any place. Not in your girlfriend. Not in your boyfriend. Not in your husband or your wife. Not in your buddies. But that your hope, that is the picture of what things are going to be like in Christ. Hope is the visual picture of that. Faith is the road to getting that picture accomplished. But it's not the picture of what things are going to be like that we look for. He says that your faith and hope may be in a particular person, in God. When Jesus Christ died, he gave us the ability to say we believe in God and be right about it. See, people, when they say, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in God. Because Jesus said, if you believe in God, believe also in me. So I don't want you to, don't get shaken up by some goofy apologetic, somebody running you up on the streets. Don't, don't get it twisted while you're going through. It's only temporary. Continue to place all of your confidence in the Lord Jesus. I, ho I hope you're getting this. I, I hope you don't give up. Some of you are on the edge right now, and you've been isolating yourself from God's people. Stop it. Stop it. Let your faith and hope be in God. I didn't say believe in his people, because we're going to jack you up a bunch of times. But guess what? You're going to jack us up too. But while we're jacking each other up and messing up and having to repent and all of this stuff and have messy relationships, help us all to look at God and say, God, I want to have faith in you. And as we look up and as we get closer to him, we'll become closer to one another. And I pray that as you enjoy seeing behind the scenes of the factory of how holiness actually takes place, that you would let all of your faith, all of your confidence rest in Christ and Christ alone. Father, we honor you today.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Because we want our faith and hope to rest in you. And God, we want to be motivated. We want to be motivated by how you value things and what you value is Christ. And since you value Christ, we need to value Christ. And so, God, I pray that someone, if they're here and they don't know Christ, that you would touch them, that they may go from common to consecrated. But first, they got to admit that they're common, just like all of us had to. And admit that Jesus is consecrated, set aside for the particular purpose of dying for us. And if we repent of our commonness and turn to the consecrated one, Jesus Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, through his death on the cross, we may be saved. In Jesus Christ's name we pray.